period. I have a so our um, our first thing tonight is the board of presidents uh, uh, report um, and um, i'm pleased to uh, have jesse adams back to do some training with the board on um, ethics and we actually have some um, particular questions for jesse um, that we'd like him to answer today. So I ask the board as we're listening, etc. please think through any questions we have on topics we definitely want um, Jesse to cover um, and spend time on. Um, secondly, um, uh, we're, Jesse, if you could talk a little bit sure. about the board self-evaluation, but we are not going to actually okay. self-evaluation. I can touch um, on it. Yep. Yeah, so Most if you can just touch on it, um, and then we, are, uh, we will schedule that at uh, a later session. So um, I know also, Jesse, if you wouldn't mind, I don't know if it's in your notes, but if you wouldn't mind also touching on um, uh, boards that are board of the whole versus boards that are committee structure. Okay. Committee structure, but I think we'd like to understand. Anything else, anybody? Yeah, I'm going to move out of the way too. Okay. So, Kathy, anything else you want? Just no, I think that's good. Okay. Sorry. We're getting out. No worries. All right, we're going to move out of your way and I'll turn it over to Justin. All right. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. It's good to be here. Uh, tonight, we're going to we're going to talk about what we call foundations of board governance. Basically, we're going to talk about roles and responsibilities. That's the, that's the bottom line. And touch on that. Last year we talked about ethics. Okay. Um, we talked about ethics. Uh, we went through the required ethics training. Um, this kind of ties into that, and you'll see as we go through. One thing I do want to pass out very quickly is um, a copy of the code of ethics because we will be referring to it throughout the roles and responsibilities discussion. Um, not to pass these out. Thank you. Oops, I'm one short of the... I'll share with you. So I've given you a, a packet of information. Uh, I'm not going to run through that, uh, but um, we'll, we'll pull something, a couple documents out a little later. But this is your reference material. As we go through this tonight, um, when we're done, you'll have a lot of information that you can refer back to if you want to refresh your memory or you need some uh, needs particular guidance. It's in the folder. Um, like I said, there's a lot to cover, so let's see if we can get rolling here. Is it not working? Yeah. All right. The first one. All right. So, first question coming out of the starting block. How many board members does it take to change a light bulb? What do you think? 
Any guesses? What have you got? Nine-member board, right? How many, how many do you think? Five. Any other guesses? Do the next one, please. None. It's up to the board to say, let there be light. And then it's the superintendent who's got to figure out what kind of light she wants to put into the district to solve your request to let there be light. Incandescent, Florence, candle, solar. It's the board's responsibility to then approve the purchase of the light bulbs that she decides to bring into the district. And then step back, evaluate, and assess the quality of the lighting. You identified what? The what? What you wanted. That's the board's role. How it gets done? Superintendent's role. The effectiveness of that is the board's role to evaluate part of that appraisal process. There are four functions of a Board of Education. And, and I'm going to preempt it in case anybody is going to ask me, because I usually get this question. Where are you getting these four functions from? They're out of the law. Okay? I'm not making this up. We don't make it up. It's out of statute. The code of, um, the, the code of ethics that I passed out, the ten tenets that are there, this is where it comes from. Uh, let me make sure I give you the right tenants. Tenant C talks about three of them. Tenant G gives you the, the uh, fourth one. So the first function of a board is policy. You are a policy developing making body. The folks in this district, the staff, the community members, in order for them to understand what you want in this district, they go to the policy. You own policy. Policy tells this district what you want to happen in this district. So you are a policy-making body. It's one of your most important responsibilities. Having been a board member for 22 years, it can be one of your most boring responsibilities. But you have to take the time to review your policies on a systematic basis because, there, as you all know, there are a ton of them. And you're not going to get through all of them in one year. It may take you multiple years in terms to get through all of them. But you should have a process that's reviewing critical policies over time so that you're always ensuring that you're comfortable with them. And you may have a, pro a uh, third-party service. A lot of districts have third-party services. Strauss-Esme, New Jersey School Board, there's a third-party person that's out there. I, I can't remember their name. But they offer the service to manage your policies. That doesn't abdicate your responsibilities. Policies, they provide you with recommended policies, changes in the law, things that they see that come out that they recommend to you. But that policy, I, we've seen boards take a take a. School board policy, we'll send an update and say, hey, these, these things have changed in the statute. We send it to them. A couple years down the road, we do a policy check, and the, the language of, of the changes in that policy affected high schools. And the districts are K to 8. And all that high school language is in their policy. What did they do? They took the policy, adopted it, and stuck it in there. Okay? You should be reviewing those policies. 
for applicability to your district, your situation. Because not everything that comes from the policy third party is applicable to your district. Excuse me, your district. So you need to, that's part of that process and policy review you responsibility to look at it and say, does this apply? If it does, great. We need to make sure that we've dotted our I's, crossed our T's, and we're good to go. We adopt it. If it doesn't, then we need to figure out, we need to understand why, and then make sure we don't put things that are not applicable to this district into our policies. The second responsibility or function of the board is you're responsible, we, we bucket it under the planning responsibility. You're responsible for ensuring a quality program of instruction in this district. And you do that through your adopting, adoption of curriculum standards, setting goals for students, assessing district and personnel needs to assist the staff superintendent and her team to ensure student achievement is on the upswing because that's where everybody wants to be. You're also responsible for ensuring that you provide the resources for professional development and ensuring that you're, you're monitoring the reporting of student assessments. Your superintendent is reporting that to you, you're asking the right questions, and you're understanding what's happening in your district. That's all part of your planning responsibility. Next chart, please. The third one is oversight and appraisal. In, that, in the light bulb example, Superintendent put lights in, you approve the purchase order, now you got to determine if, if the quality of light is what you were looking for. That's the oversight, that's the appraisal of the situation. You're responsible to ensure that there is effective management in the district. You don't manage the district, you ensure that there's effective management. And you do that through the hiring of a superintendent. Your chief school administrator is responsible for administering and managing this district on behalf of the board. You ensure that through your policies that you are ensuring that the policies are being implemented appropriately. You review the data, you review the information, and make decisions on how to improve. You should be, keep a continuous improvement focus on what, you tr what you're doing as a board for the sake of the children. And then the fourth of the four functions is communication. And we mean two-way communication. And that means from the board to the public and from the public to the board. You are the elected officials. You are charged with understanding the aspirations of your community. You should be bringing those aspirations. You hear something, good or bad, you should be bringing it back to the superintendent and to your fellow board members. And likewise, you should be communicating outward. And I, I had a board member ask me, well, okay, two-way communication. I got you. I know what that means. So what does that mean for a board? Do we have to create our own newsletter, send letters? What are we, what are we supposed to do as a board? You communicate as a board every day. You're the top of the food chain. Every piece of communication that comes out of this district is Board of Education communication. It could be signed by your business administrator. It could be signed by the superintendent, by a teacher sending a letter home to the parents about a field trip. That's Board of Education communication. 
So the real question becomes, are we as a district communicating to the constituents, to the folks who need to have information? Are they getting the information they need to have? If they are, then you probably have, should feel good about your communication process. If you think you can get better at it, who do you talk to? Superintendent. You get with the superintendent and talk about ideas to improve the communication process in the district. You don't go out and create your own communication vehicle. You work with the superintendent to improve the communication arena. But you guys are communicating every day, whether you know it or not. And so you've got, a, you've got an outbound communication that's happening. The real question is, do you have an inbound? And I'll, I'll take a moment to talk about public comment. I always have someone say, well, public comment is our communication of hearing the uh, public. I will tell you that the Open Public Meetings Act provides that every public entity in their meeting must provide the community the ability to comment. Comment is not dialogue. Comment is not discussion. Comment is comment. And what that means is you're here to do the board's business. This is not the public's meeting. It's a board meeting held in public because the law requires you to hold it in public because you, there's supposed to be transparency and the public's allowed to see you make the sausage. Okay? That's, what it, that's what the law is all about. They have an opportunity to comment. Most boards that, I, that I'm affiliated with have two public comment periods in their agenda. One before the action portion, so that if anybody wants to comment on any of the actions that we as a board are about to uh, embark on and, and vote on, they have an opportunity. And then there's usually a second one after all the business is completed for opening it up for any other district comments or district business. It's key to understand that it is just that, public comment. It's not a dialogue. The appropriate response, someone gets up, has a comment about something on the agenda, they're not in favor of it, and they think you should think about X, Y, and Z, and they get done. The appropriate comment we tell board presidents is, thank you for your comment, next to the podium. It's not a discussion. They've made their comment. They've put their, put their thought on the table. That's why board members are required to come to the table not already predetermined on how they're going to vote on every item. You have a pretty good idea. You've done your homework. You look, you look and go. But there's another piece of information that you're waiting to hear, and that's public comment. Somebody may bring something to the table that may change your thought process or during the deliberation and discussion, motion, second, <coughs> floor's open for discussion. Board member may bring up a point that he or she thought of that I didn't think of. And wow, if I had thought of that, you know, maybe I wouldn't be thinking the way I'm thinking on this vote. So there's that last bit of deliberation, that, that discussion, that, dis that debate, listening to the public comments are all part of your role as a board member to make an informed decision. So you've heard, you've gotten the uh, packet, 
You've done your homework. You've got the supporting document. You've asked questions that needed to be asked of the BA or the superintendent or of, of a curricular or of a committee chair so that you feel confident that I, I, I know what I'm voting on. Now i got to figure out how I'm going to vote on that vote. Yes, ma'am. So Jesse, you go to a lot of meetings. Um, I, I'm going to speak for the public for a minute. That's dissatisfying for them. They don't like it. They, I understand. They, they want to ask questions. They want to be able to get answers to their questions, et cetera. We have a process by which if it's, you know, if we make a presentation, if Kim makes a presentation and they ask a question about a particular slide, we can answer it, get it done right away, and we take care of it. But for the most part, we take the questions back. Dr. Foster works on the questions with her staff, and then we put a Q&A out um, after the meeting. So everybody, we used to just get back to the person, and we decided it was probably better if one person asked a question. Probably five people have the question. We'd give it to everybody. Um, but I know that's sometimes dissatisfying for the people. <coughs> Do you hear that in other places? Um, most publics don't like the fact that public comment is just that, public comment. They want to have a dialogue. We have a lot of boards say, well, we need to do a better, better job of engaging our public. We need to get them to come to the board meetings. And I ask the question, why? <laughs> why do you want them to come to the board meeting? Because it's a public comment period. It's not a dialogue. They're not going to come here to be able to have a whole conversation with you. They're going to come and watch you make the sausage. Wouldn't it be more valuable if you as a board set up a communicate, maybe a communication process and plan where maybe every quarter you have th you know, a less than a quorum of board members and the superintendent and the BA do a public forum where folks can come in, ask questions, you can get information. You can't commit, but you can at least have dialogue, bring it back to the board, report to the board, and maybe you do that once or twice maybe once in the fall, once in the spring, but you give the, the folks the opportunity to come and talk to you versus sitting in, in an audience getting the, the customary, thank you very much for your comment, we appreciate it. The other piece that's important, and that's, you know, Tenant J is, is the key on the, on the uh, code of ethics, is that I'm a person in the public. I've got a complaint. I come to the podium. I, voice my complaint, I want my problem, and I want you to solve my problem right now. You as a board are not authorized to solve problems at the board table. By Tenant J, the chain of command must be allowed to function. And Tenant J says, basically, I will refer all complaints to the Chief Administrative Officer and will act on the complaints at public meetings only after failure of an administrative solution. So if someone comes to the podium to complain about an issue, we tell board presidents, thank you very much. We've taken your concern. Can you please make an appointment with Dr. Foster tomorrow and she can look into it? You can't solve the problem. You can't try to solve the problem. That's against the code of ethics. But us commenting or having a dialogue, is that explicitly against the code of ethics or is it just accepted practice? Because that's what I love. The law requires a public comment period. You as a board can determine through your policy if you want to have a dialogue. You just need to be careful because in that dialogue, if someone's trying to have a problem solved or an issue resolved and you're trying to do that, you are violating the code of ethics. You can't solve the public's problems and issues. 
they are required to go through the chain of command. You should have, and I'm pretty sure you do, a complaint process, in a policy that identifies how issues and concerns are brought to the table, and your job is to help them with the chain of command. Understand, start at the lowest level. I have a problem with my, my son's teacher. Okay, have you spoken to the teacher? Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, they'll take it out on my kid. Okay, have you made an appointment with the superintendent or the uh, principal? Your job is to help them use the chain of command. You're not allowed to try and solve their problems or make promises to help them. Your job is to help them use the policy. And I tell board members, that policy number should be one that you have memorized so that every time someone comes to you, you're able to refer them to the exact steps that they should be taking. When they get to the end of the line, the superintendent, they've worked their way up, they're not satisfied with every resolution, and they get to the superintendent and she makes a decision and they're still not happy, then that is the time, your policy should say, when they're allowed to request a hearing with the board. But what, you're, but what I understand what you're saying is, I could have a dialogue if I choose to, as long as I am not saying, trying to, attempting to solve the problem. You can have a dialogue if your board bylaws allow you to have a dialogue. Right, right Your now, board. Our bylaws allow for the presiding, presiding officer to talk to the public and the superintendent. Dr. Foster. Right. Or Dr. Two to answer questions. Right. Other than that, no one is supposed to talk to the public. We can bring it back up in um, at the very end of the meeting. We have old business and new business. So many times, uh, especially like in the early days when I first got on the board, that's what would happen. Somebody in the public would mention something, and it would trigger an idea for a board member. And the board member would, in old business, say, "Hey, could we look into what so and so said tonight? That sounds like something very interesting for us." Yeah. And so based on that, and based on that kind of a conversation, the board president then takes a consensus, and if the majority says, "Yeah, we want that looked into," now the superintendent has direction. But that's going back to committee, correct? Isn't that part of it also going back to committee? You can, it's you committee, can, sometimes right. it's Dr. No, but I thought when we were going to talk about the, like the, the three minutes and all that stuff, is that also part of that? Oh, no. That's our policy, public comment. Policy. No, public, but I'm saying, is that going to be included too? Like, if we, not just the time itself, but who would be speaking back to the public? That's in the policy. That's in the policy. So we're going to look at all yeah, we, Okay. A lot of districts are looking at their policy. Um, I, I know I have a couple, several districts, who basically lost control of their, of, their, of their meetings because they wanted to have dialogue. They wanted to have that exchange. And so what, what has happened, every, you know, great town, everything's going well. People come up, say, say they're positives, negative, we have a conversation, and everything's wonderful. Then something hits the fan. And you got a packed house of irate people, and the process has been we we're allowed to talk, and now you're trying to rein it in and get control, and it doesn't work. And those boards have lost control, and they've called me and said, "Can you come in and sit in the back of the room and watch our meeting and tell us what we're doing wrong?" And I said, "Number one, you're getting into a big dialogue and trying trying to answer everybody's question, and." You, You've lost control. They, some of the boards had to resort to bringing in the police to keep order so that they could get the The purpose of the meeting is to get the business done. And so 
So it's, you, you really have to have a conversation about your bylaws. Does it, do the bylaws reflect how this board wants to operate within the Open Public Meetings Act? The, the law says you're required to give comment. How you control the comment period, who's allowed to speak, that's up to you. There's nothing in the law that says who can or cannot. You drive it, and once you develop that bylaw, that's, that's law. That's your law. That's the law that you all should be following. Did I answer your question? Does NJ SBA have a best practice they recommend for? Our best practice is to, what well, I just told comment. you, comment, take the information. If there's a concern or a question, you refer it to the superintendent. Typically, I've seen superintendents who have other staff members here. They'll say, so and so, could you go and right now talk to Miss so and so in the hallway? She might be able to resolve your. But that's. You refer it to the administration. By the Code of Ethics, you've got to allow this chain of command to work. And, and, and if it doesn't work, then you have an opportunity to step in. And then what if it is just, you know, like it's a series of questions that can be answered very easily? Can that, that, that continue to further? That's, that's, that's going to have to be a part of your process okay. and your discussion. I, I, you know, I've been a board president, you know, and I've sat there and... <clears throat> I've gotten somebody coming to the podium, they've asked the question, and it's a simple question. You know, when's the school going to be closed? Are we, are we using all of the snow days? I turned to the superintendent and asked, could you answer that? Because we know what the answer is. Superintendent answered, we're done. Simple things like that, are, you know, that's a function of what, how you guys want to operate. If you can answer those simple things, great. It's when those simple things become into long, drawn-out conversations, you are now losing control of the purpose of this meeting. So it's really, the law says you got to provide comment. How you manage that is the board's, board's decision based on your bylaws. But whatever you do, when you put it in your bylaws, adhere to your bylaws. Nothing's worse than changing, you know, when times are good, you're, you're loosey-goosey and, hey, we have a three-minute rule, but... They're saying good things about us, let's let, let, let them go for five. When the person who gets up who has, has a complaint, eh, your three minutes are up. Doesn't work. So, all right, so, um, the, uh, so that's a comment on that. Um, let me see, is there anything else uh, on that? Social media. Getting a lot of questions from boards about social media. Legal communities getting a lot of questions boards on social media um, it's I think everybody's waiting for the big case the big case law that drives what, what's going to happen but social media is you know is something that board as a board member you need to be aware of there is a advisory opinion it's an old advisory opinion that is kind of the basis for what you need to be thinking about as it relates to social media the, um, the advisory opinion talked about um, letters to the editor and a board member who wanted to write a letter to the editor um, they filed, you know, filed an, uh, an advisory opinion request and the opinion said you don't lose your First Amendment rights you want to make a comment but because you are a public official and an elected board member you have a responsibility I call it the preamble if I wanted to write a letter to the editor, I need to, in the opening lines, identify myself as a, 
member of the Robbinsville Board of Education. The opinion that I'm going to give is mine and mine alone as a private citizen. It does not reflect the opinion of the Board of Education. I do not speak for the Board of Education. Now, once you've done your preamble, you can state your opinion as long as it's factual and doesn't breach confidentiality. And that was the advisory opinion. So you take, you go back whatever number of years that was and come forward to our new communication climate. I want to go post something on Facebook. I'm a board member. People know you're a board member. So if I say something, they don't automatically take it and I'm just speaking as John Q. Public. They say the board member said this. So you have a responsibility to do the same kind of preamble that you would do if you were writing a letter to the editor, if you're going to go on to, uh, you know, um, you're going to do a tweet or you're going to do a, uh, a Facebook post. Every time, reality says you want to keep yourself out of trouble, every time you should be doing that. You have your standard cut and paste. Put that up there and then state what you have to say. Make sure it's factual and doesn't breach confidentiality. That's the realities of the world today. Like I said, the legal community is waiting for the big test case. We haven't gotten it yet. Has there been an actual opinion on social media posts and that preamble? In other words, I ask because I, I'm a spokesman for a, a very large corporation, and our lawyers, teams, hundreds of lawyers that we have, tell us as long as we post our preamble, for say, at, on our cover pages, that suffices. Okay. I don't know if I don't. Do you know if anybody's? I don't know if anybody's asked so, about. We would have seen the advisory. Are you yeah. providing us guidance, or is it a recommendation? And then secondarily, the question is: the recommendation does, is does based the, on does the, the advisory opinion that is on the books as, as legally binding on basically making a public statement. Sure. And the letter of the editor. The letter of the editor was the I mean, letter of the editor is essentially yeah. dead today's age. Yeah. Right. No one writes. And, no, and no the one new writes. communication vehicle. Absolutely. Facebook yeah. and Twitter. So, like I said, we're waiting for somebody to file a complaint against somebody yeah. that says they're violating the Code of Ethics and the School Ethics Act by what they did. And when that goes up the chain, we will get definitive. Right now, the only advice we have is that advisory opinion. And so, we tell board members, do you want to be that test case? Go right ahead. If, you, if you're not sure, you, want, you always have the right to request an advisory opinion. Sure. You state and, and the I facts. Think, speaking for myself, I do often, and quite often questioned by the public as to why I do, and it's quite clear, and I'm glad you're saying it tonight, that that, that, is, the, that, that is the opinion. But secondarily, as an aside, our attorneys at my corporation mm -hmm. tell us, as long as we have it on our cover page, we're covered legally as well. Okay. That the opinions are mine, solely mine, and don't represent the corporation I'm working for, even though I, they pay me to speak for them. Understood. And I used to work for a Fortune 500 company, and we had the same thing. Yeah. Uh, the issue is you're on the school board, and you're guided by the School Ethics Act and the, uh, the Code of Ethics and the advisory opinions. And right now, that's the advisory opinion that everybody's hanging their hat on sure. yeah. until something happens. Right. Something else drives a change to that. Yes, ma'am. I have a question. So what if you're responding to a question that you really know the answer to as a board member and then you put the disclosure? If the information you're sharing is public information, <coughs> factual and public information, then and you've done your preamble, you're probably okay. 
if it's something that only the board knows, it might be in, it might fall under the confidentiality because it hasn't come out into the public yet. It hasn't moved from private private deliberation to the agenda to the public deliberation. Public information, you you know, you're free because it's out there now. But if it's something that's potentially only board members know, personally, I wouldn't take the chance. Oh, I yes. So what about um, in instances where people are tagged and you're being tagged in capacity as a board member, and when you respond, you're saying, "But I'm not responding as a board member." Like, how, like isn't that a gray area? It feels gray. It, 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 it's gray from the standpoint of you've been tagged, yeah, and now you are going to comment. Depending on what you say in your comment, it's going to get interpreted. Okay. All right? So if someone says, this teacher is a rotten teacher, and you send a thumbs up, you're a board member. You, you know. You're in the know. If you hearted. Everybody at this table, they believe, they believe that you know. So if the board member agreed with us, this person must really be a horrible teacher. That's the risk that you have. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Just in a second on that, because it's interesting. Sure. Um, but where do you stop that? Like, do you, like, if you do text messages or emails or public conversation in front of more than five people, do you constantly have to do that? I mean, like, you go to the bagel store and there's 15 people there. You got to say, I'm not speaking as a board member. Now, to, to take it to an extreme, I, I would say it yes. So obnoxious to me. Like, you would say I'm yes. I'm a board member, and then we got to say that every so time. So you would say yes. And that you're. I agree. Having been a board, I agree. But the first time somebody, when the SEC contacts you and says, we're letting you know you have a complaint filed against you for X, Y, and Z, you have 10 days to provide your rebuttal. And if we determine that there's cause, we will be bringing you and other witnesses up for potential sanctions. And you know, the first time that happens, you're going to say, wow, I should have used the preamble. So you, get, you have to make the decision as a board member. The laws, the statutes are there. Yeah. Now, we've, we've kind of been doing that. We've been saying, like, speaking as a parent, I've kind of, you know, played around with that, speaking as a tired parent, speaking as a funny parent. But, like, my question is, do we have to actually say, I am speaking as a member of the Board of Education. I just can't put underneath it, speaking as a parent, that's not good enough? <laughs> you're, you, you need, you're, my recommendation is you do your preamble. That you're not speaking on behalf of the Board of Education, that you're a board member in the town, but you're not speaking, and then you're giving your own personal opinion. And then, like I said, the, the, the advisory opinion says what you say must be factual, and it must not breach confidentiality. So if you say something that you believe is factual and it potentially defames a staff member, there's a tenant that someone can write you up on for not supporting staff. But, you know, it's my soccer field example. I'm a parent. I have, I have my, my uh, son plays soccer, so I'm standing there at 3:15 watching the soccer game, and there's a bunch of parents over on the side talking, and they say, "Hey, Jess is here. He's the board member. Jess, come on over. We want to talk to you. They hate this coach. Not enough playing time, and they want to draw you in to get your comments. That, those are conversations you need to stay away from. And and so it's important that you understand." That's the situ that's that's 
the burden that you have because you walk around with that big scarlet B on your forehead wherever you go in the town. And so you have to, you have to make conscious decisions about what you say, how you say it, and what you do. That's just the nature of being a, a, an elected official. Now, but let's say this is this is like obviously you're engaging in conversations. But let's say on a personal level, you have a Facebook post. I mean, you're you're posting yourself on Facebook. You're just I don't know whether it's you really like listening to this person, this speaker. You really like doing things like that. Do I need to do that if I'm just posting my own personal things? I would. Would I need to do that? Like like I mean, I'm not only like sharing the photo of my kids, but. You don't. You don't lose. You don't lose your rights as, as a as a private citizen. So if you're you're, you know, using your Facebook, showing trips, things, that, that's one thing. If you're making commentary that can be construed by the public as a board member is speaking, who should be in the know, that's where you have to think about what you're what you're putting up there, and how can it be interpreted. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Justin to move on because I want to do those a bunch more topics. No problem, huh? All right, so all right, so one of the things let, let me before I get onto this chart, when I, when you look at the uh, tenants, I, I think I told you tenant C is the one that covers policy, planning, and appraisal, and tenant G, the second half of G, first part of G is confidentiality, the second half talks about the communication and the aspirations of your public, all right? Um, in your packet, on the right-hand side is this chart. It's a tan, one, two, fourth document back, it's a tan document, a spreadsheet. This document is what I, I tell board members, you should probably, if you have a board bag or a board binder that you always bring to your board meetings, I would recommend you throw a copy of the Code of Ethics in it and you throw this chart in it. We talked about what your, what your roles and responsibilities are. You are the ones who determine what you want, the what. The top row, role of the board, the what? Direction, policy, oversight. And so if you look at these areas of governance, planning, long-range, strategic, the things you get, that you should be looking at are critical issue analysis, long-term vision, incorporating that vision into yearly goal setting, making sure site-based goals mesh, under programs, curricular and co-curricular, standards and expectations. You set standards and expectations based on the aspirations of your, of your community, policies that demands equity, funds, resources, and development, evaluation components, built-in updates. Personnel, standards, hiring, evaluation, retention, training. You're responsible for setting standards and expectations, developing and having a personnel policy, equity, hiring, training, evaluation, retention. Bargaining, you're responsible for that. Recognition of your staff and ensuring communication. That's your role in the personnel process. Finance, matching goals with the budget development. Setting a budget calendar and process. Receive, interpret the financial reports you get every month. Asking questions, having your, your BA explain to you what those reports are telling you. Uh, communicate the financial information to the community. During the budget time, you have a public hearing. Typically, your BA and your superintendent talk, present the budget, but the board should have some words of wisdom to say as well. 
facilities, matching facilities with demographics and program needs. That's that strategic thinking. Where are we going? What's the population doing? What do we need for our programs? Resource allocation for long-term planning, maintenance, and support. Communications, two-way, ongoing public relations and input feedback cycle. Like I said, more than just a public comment period. What are you doing to keep, keep the public engaged? What's your community engagement plan? Interaction on the local, county, and state levels. Are you, ad, are you advocating for yourself and for, for, for the children of your district? Resources for district internal chain and external newsletters, building public engagement. That's the what. That's that, you're at that 50,000 foot level, right? That's the what, your focus area. The how, you can see down below, if you read everything that's under the role of the administration, day-to-day -day implementation, supervision, and accountability. If you look at all those things listed there, that's the nuts and bolts of getting the job done every day and, and educating the children in this district, right? And I tell boards, you throw that in your bag, and if you find your questions more in line with the lower, you probably ought to raise your questions up because you're now into micromanaging, you're into administration, which is against the code of ethics, right? You don't manage the day-to-day. -day. You assess how you, with all of you as a board, assess how well the district's being run. And you evaluate one person every year on how the district's being run. That's your superintendent. Okay. Any questions on this chart? Okay. Can you get the next chart, please? All right. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about some scenarios. You have the code of ethics in front of you. Um, what we're gonna do? We're gonna touch on each one of these scenarios, and I'm gonna ask you if you think the behavior that's being displayed in this scenario is appropriate board behavior or individual board member behavior. So the first one, the R-Town Board of Education has successful, I, you know, I'm walking in front of all of you and I apologize. <laughs> the R-Town Board of Education has successfully passed its elementary school building referendum and construction on the new school has begun. Dan Rollins, a board member who runs a large construction company, has begun visiting the construction site every day to speak to the construction manager and check on the progress of the project. Is this appropriate behavior of a board member? Why not? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so like, the answer is no. And if you look at tenant C, D, and E, C talks about confining your board actions to policy, planning, and appraisal. That's administration. D talks about, I will carry out my responsibility not to administer the schools, but together with my fellow board members to see that they are well run. And then E is, I will recognize that authority rests with the Board of Education and will make no personal promises nor take any private action that may compromise the board. Dan Rollins going to the site every day, talking to the construction manager, Telling you, you know, here's, a, here's what I would do here and there, and all of a sudden there's a bunch of change orders on the uh, uh, BA's desk. Well, you know, Dan Rollins told me that he wanted these things done, so we put in the change orders for him, right? He's just compromised the board, right? Second one, please. In executive session, the majority of the R-Town Board of Education decides to support the superintendent's recommendation 
to fire its extremely popular football coach because of his recent unprofessional and unsportsmanlike behavior following a disappointing loss to a big rival. The next day, Ed Reed, a member of the board who strongly disagrees with the decision, calls his best friend John, whose son is a member of the football team, and tells him about the board's decision. Ed encourages John to bring the team and their parents to the next board meeting to try to get the board to change their decision. Appropriate? No. No. And in addition to the three tenants that were violated in the previous one, he breaches confidentiality by picking up the phone and calling his buddy to tell him what the board was going to do with the with the with the um, uh, football coach. And he compromised the board because I guarantee you that night it was standing room only at the board meeting, and it was probably a very ugly meeting. Number three, at the beginning of the annual budget process, the Artau Board of Education meets with the superintendent and business administrator and sets parameters for the budget. Is this appropriate? Yes. Bingo. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is appropriate. You're responsible for establishing the parameters that you would like to see the budget try to achieve. So you. Up front, the BA and the superintendent, their, their budget process starts you know, July 1. You know, they're, they're pulling stuff together throughout getting ready. But at some point, there should be a sit down with the board to discuss your views, the parameters you're looking for, what you want to try to achieve in the next budget so that when they actually now go and construct the budget, they know what parameters they're working to. And they can come back and tell you if we only go with a 1.5% increase, here's the issues, here's what we lose, here's what, if we go with two, it's a, they can do that, once they know what your parameters are, they can tell you the pros and cons in the budget. But it's your responsibility to help establish the parameters. It's not your responsibility to develop the budget and write the budget, but it's your responsibility to identify the parameters and then ask the right questions when the budget's being presented to you as part of the working process, right? Claire Murray, a member of the R-Town Board of Education, is in the produce section of the local supermarket when two of her neighbors come up to her and tell her that their daughters have told them that their third grade teacher, Mrs. Smith, spends part of every school day talking and texting on her cell phone while she is in her classroom with her students. To calm them down, Claire promises to investigate the situation and make sure that it doesn't continue. Is that appropriate? No. 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 But Claire could say, Thanks for telling me. I can't do anything about it, but I could bring these concerns to superintendent, or you need to bring these concerns to superintendent. Yep. The appropriate is to help them use the chain of command, and then you can do what you need to do, which you just said it. Call the superintendent. Give a heads up. Yeah. All right? There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, just the next one, the Our Town... Board of Education holds its meeting on the first and third Tuesday of the month. Board members receive their board packets on the Friday preceding the meetings. Bob Martin, a member of the board, in reading his packet over the weekend, believes that he has found an error in one of the proposals that the board will vote on Tuesday evening. To make sure that everyone on the board is involved, he decides to wait until the meeting to point out the error and ask for clarification. Is that appropriate? I don't know. I don't I know that it's like inappropriate, but in my opinion, it's the wrong thing to do. But he could do one it. Of, um, yeah. One of the, um, there's a study that was done, uh, Illinois 
a board of education, uh, state board of education, uh, and it's called the Wisdoms of a Dozen Truths. And the first wisdom of uh, the first truth is no surprises. Superintendent, board members should not be surprised. If that proposal was something that needed to be done that Tuesday, and that board member saw something wrong with the proposal and waited and brought it up at the meeting, and the BA and the superintendent didn't have the information necessary to resolve the problem, could you have voted on that? No, it would have been tabled, right? And now, if it had to be done that month, and couldn't wait to the next month's meeting, what would you guys be doing? Calling a special meeting. Because one person saw something, and being on the team should have raised the flag to the BA and the superintendent. I think there's something wrong with this proposal. They would have looked at it and said, yep, you're right. And they would have sent information out to the whole board. Hey, new, new information, new documentation. Uh, delete the old one. Here's the correct information for, your, for you to do your homework. That's part of Right, but is it unethical? Is it unethical? There's nothing unethical. It is one of the most important relationships you have is the, your relationship with the superintendent. And no surprises is based on you respect each other and you don't have things dropped on you that you're unaware of in the middle of it. Somebody throws a grenade and, and watches the explosion. Every board should have a process that if you see something or you have questions on the packet, who do you contact? That information we tell boards that you should have, if, it's, if, if the communication process says, hey, if it's uh, anything that's in the operational side, we contact the BA. Or if it's other items, we contact the superintendent. We, our recommendation from a best practice is that the superintendent and the BA, if they get a question, they should send it, they should send the question and the answer out to everyone. A board member had this, the following question, here is the information, so that everybody gets the same information. You might not have had that question, you might have known the answer, but someone else might not have. But you don't get a situation where you get, you call, you get the information, nobody else does. At the meeting, you're talking about it, and someone says, well, I'm not sure, and you say, oh, I know the answer to that, and you answer it, and they're like, well, how did you know that? Oh, well, Dr. Foster told me. And now I'm sitting over there going, why, why did Dr. Foster tell you and not tell me? So you eliminate that by ensuring that the communication, and so no surprises is the premise on this one. Lisa Watson, board member on the Orton, has received multiple calls complaining about the behavior of a teacher at the middle school. Although she refers each of the callers up the chain, she also calls the superintendent to alert him of the issue, just what you said. Yeah. You, you, you point them in the right direction to get the problem resolved at the lowest level. And nine times out of ten, it's never getting to the superintendent's desk. If they start at the bottom, the teaching staff, the administration, they want to solve the problems. They don't, right. they don't want them to bubble up to the superintendent unless they absolutely have to. Right. But then you've done the communication piece that says, hey, I'm giving you a heads up. This might be coming your way. Yeah. Right? So, uh, seven. The Artown School needs a new assistant principal. Because the superintendent is new, the board decides to help by reading all the applications and interviewing all of the candidates for the position. Is that appropriate? No. 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 
That's the administration. You have no role in the, in the hiring and the interviewing process. Your role is to make a call on the recommendation of final recommendations of the superintendent. Now, there's an advisory opinion that says that if you, you know, whether board members can be a part of the interview process, they can based on the type of position. We're talking what I call senior leadership positions, assistant superintendent, VA. You can be a part of, the advisory opinion says you're allowed to be a part of the interview process, but it's only at the invitation of the superintendent. Superintendent owns the hiring process. The superintendent said we're going to do a panel. We're going to have a panel for the first round, and I'd like to have two board members on it. She can request, and two board members, but you have to follow the exact process that's laid out that the superintendent has. You can't go rogue and do your own thing. You have to follow the process. And no more, by the advisory opinion, no more than two can, can ever participate in something like that. Like I said, it's only for those senior level type positions. And I had a board, when that advisory came out, I had a board president call me upset. They're hiring an assistant superintendent, and the board superintendent said, no board members are going to be on the, on the interview. Can he do that? I said, yes, he can. And that was not the answer he wanted to hear from me. But the, they, the superintendent owns that process. Okay? Elizabeth Gonzalez, board member on the Our Town Board of Education, very concerned about the district math scores. She's heard a lot of talk about a numerical math program that's being advertised on television. She asked the superintendent to research that math program and prepare a report comparing that program with the district's current math program and the math programs used in neighboring district, districts. Is that appropriate? What is she doing there? She's, she's, the whole she's whole giving direction right. to the superintendent. Right? <clears throat> you act as a board. The superintendent takes direction from the board. How would, what would have been a better way to handle that? There's a couple ways. You have an idea, you take it to your to the committee. If you're not on that committee, you contact the committee chairs. I'd like you to bring this up in that and let, let the committee vet it and they may bring it forward. What what's the second way you could do that? Bring up the new business. Bingo. I like her. I like her. Um, yes. New business. That's an opportunity to bring up things that yeah, ideas. Now, we just talked about no surprises, right? If you're going to bring something like that up. Customary uh, courtesy phone call to the board president and the, and the superintendent, letting them know that you're going to bring this up for board discussion and new business. Superintendent may say, okay, I'm going to dig into it a little bit so I at least have some information for the board. So there's no surprises. Okay? The, I did that one right. Next one, please. As a former teacher at our town, Board of Ed, Kate Armstrong is often approached by teachers because she knows they are more comfortable with her than with the superintendent. She encourages them to come to her with their problems and concerns. Not appropriate, right? You can't do things that may compromise the board. You can't make personal promises to, to resolve issues or address issues. The last one, Jim Berenger, an our, our town member, knows that the New Jersey law requires that all curriculum meets the standards set out in the New Jersey Student Learning Standards. In order to ensure that our town curriculum meets those standards, he decides to go to the school 
question teachers and administrators about the implementation of the curriculum and whether they believe it meets the standards. Totally inappropriate. As a board member, you have to follow the policies that are in place for school visitation. Just because you're a board member doesn't give you free reign to walk into the school. You have to follow the same procedures that everyone else. Remember, when your president taps the gavel, takes a first and a second for adjourn, we're adjourned, you guys are John Q. Public again. Your authority comes right now at a legally advertised board meeting is when you have authority. Away from the table, you have no more authority than any, anybody sitting in the audience. And that's what you need to remember. You speak and decide and make decisions as a board. All right, let's talk about personnel real quick. In your folder, on the right-hand side, I think it's the second to the last, it's the ugly paper, ugly color. Right? Tangerine or melon or whatever. So, so what we're going to do is I'm, we're going to take a quiz. I'm going to ask questions. You tell me if, if the answer is true or false. All non-tenured teaching staff must receive notice of renewal or non-renewal by May 15th. True. True. Boards are required to approve the list of employees to be offered contracts at a board meeting by May 15th every year. Number two, while the board must have the superintendent's recommendation to hire a new staff member, they do not need the superintendent's recommendation to rehire. True or false? False. False. The board must have the superintendent's recommendation to hire or rehire any staff. Also to transfer personnel. Anything to do with personnel, you need a recommendation from the superintendent before you can act. Board members may see staff files and evaluations at any time for any reason. False. Board members may only see staff files and evaluations when they are asked to make a decision that affects that staff member's employment in the district. They may only see those portions of the employee's personnel file directly pertaining to the decision that is being made. Good example is your teachers in their third year, May 15th, prior to the May 15th date of their third year in the district, the superintendent is going to make a call on whether she's going to recommend tenure. There's going to be a discussion. You're going to have that option three and a half because when they start, if you approve them and they start, they come to work one September, they got tenure. They, you, you, that's their fourth year. You've approved them for their fourth year. And so when they walk in, the, if you approve them on May 15th and they're in their third, that's they're finishing their third year and you've approved them, they step in the door on, on September 1st, or the first day that the, the staff returns, you've given them tenure. tenure. They're going to finish that year, and they're going to have tenure. So you're approving tenure at that three-year three mark, because you're approving these contracts for the fourth year, for that next year. It's four years in a day. It's four years in a day. When you approve them, 
they're going to be, at, on May 15th of that third year, if you approve them, they've got tenure. Unless they do something that violates the law, causes you to go after them and, and fire them for whatever reason, they're going to get tenure. But as of September 1st of that, they're, they're not a tenured employee. What I'm saying is when they walk in, they will have tenure by the end of that year. By the end of the year, but on September 1st, they don't have tenure. Correct. Okay. But no, there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to do right, to them during right, that right, year to yeah, stop them from getting tenure. You're to renew them that year. What's that? If, you, if they, they're on reappointment once they get, but, but for tenure we recommend. Right. As tenure Your Your list will show who's if getting a contract. separate them, too, oh, on right. that. Okay. And I thought they had to finish four years. The law was three, and then they came to the four. Right, and then when the law was three, and at the end of the second year, if you approve that third-year contract, they're going to get tenure. When they walk in and start the job, that third year, in this case now, the fourth year, there's nothing, unless they really do something catastrophic, there's nothing you're going to be able to do to stop them from achieving tenure. Unless you're signing a letter on May 14th says you're not getting tenure. In the third year, yes. That's what I'm talking about. But I'm saying once they, once you voted, and approve them for the next year's contract when they report to work to start that year, you're not going to be able to stop them from getting tenure. You can't change your mind unless, you, unless of course, they do something that causes them to have their potential cert revoked. Okay? So it's important that you understand that at that three-year mark, that May 15th time, one of the questions I tell boards all the time, as you're leading up to May 15, do we have any potential tenures? And the superintendent usually has already told you that. And your personnel committee or someone's already had a conversation about it. And in this, that's a case where someone may say, you know what, these two folks are going to be tenured. It's a very important vote. I'd like to look at their performance reviews in the last couple of years. And you can do that because you're taking action that's going to affect their employment. So you, you have a right. Now you would go in, make an appointment, go in, superintendent will pull the file, pull the evaluations out so you, you can look at. You can't make copies of them and all that, but you get, you get a chance to see, to help you make an informed decision. Is that just the personnel committee or any board member? Any board member. If, if you have a vote that you're going to have to take that could affect a, an, uh, an employee, you have a right to see more information like their performance reviews to see how, how they've been doing the last. You're recommending tenure. I'd like to see what, what their performance has been the last three years that they've and been attending. And correct me if I'm wrong, but those um, the people going into the third year, you and Kim have done those evaluations. Did you say that's where you've been on the process? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, if you look to on the board agenda when we approve, we separate those that are getting tenure and we write the words to them. Yes. Um, board member number four, board members must support the superintendent's staffing recommendations. True or false? False. False. Board members are not required to support the superintendent's staffing recommendations, but they may not base their decisions on arbitrary and capricious reason. Code of Ethics Tenant 8 says, I will vote to appoint the best qualified personnel available after consideration of the recommendation of the chief administrative officer. You can't say... You're recommending this person. I would like to have the, one of the other people in this staff. Your, your vote is on whether you're accepting the recommendation. 
If you say no, she goes back to the drawing board and decides how she's going to get to that next candidate. And she may bring the same candidate. She may go through another round of interviews and say, this is the best candidate. You may want the second candidate. She may go through a round and this new person pops up and, they, and it's not the person that you've been gunning, you're hoping for. It's her call to make the recommendation. You have to decide whether you, you're going to accept that recommendation. Board members should solicit input on all non-tenured staff members prior to making a decision on rehiring. No. no. Non-tenured, you're not required to, and I would not recommend it. Tenure, you want to have that conversation because you are, you, are, you are giving them a great opportunity with tenure. It's, it isn't necessary for the board to solicit input for every non-tenure staff member beyond that provided with the recommendation for rehiring that your superintendent provides. Six, boards have clear Boards should have a clear policy on attracting, hiring, developing, and retaining staff. True or false? That's part of your responsibility and policy. In the area of personnel, you need a, a good policy. Jesse, are there that, rules pertaining to uh, writing a letter of recommendation for a potential hire? Mm -hmm. Uh, I would recommend against it because you are you have to then recuse, recuse recuse yourself from all involvement in that in that hire, and it could could impact your ability depending on what that person's position is. Every time they show up on an agenda, you may have to recuse yourself from any any votes affecting that person or or, or anything relating personnel wise to them. So. You don't want to set yourself up in that, in that arena. I wouldn't recommend it. And that also means calling the superintendent and saying, right? Yep. Exactly. Yeah, to be clear. It's trying to influence. Yeah, even though I'm just going to, I know the guy I'm going to give a good record. That's, you're, you're using your position, and there have been ethics cases where folks have tried to do that and got, and got nailed by the uh, um, SEC. Um, staff members who are not rehired can ask for a letter of reasons, true or false. Who do they get the letter from? Superintendent. Superintendent. Staff members who are not rehired may ask for a hearing before the board. True. true. This type of hearing, it's not, not actually a hearing, but it's called a Donaldson hearing. It's not actually a hearing. It's an opportunity for the employee by, by law to come in and tell you why you should keep them. So they typically, we, we tell boards, let your board attorney manage that process. They come in, they state what they want, why they think they should stay, give you ample, uh, whatever objective evidence they have, and then typically the attorney will say, thank you very much, we've got all your information, the board will take it under advisement and will deliberate, and the superintendent will contact you tomorrow to let you know what their decision is. It's not a hearing where we're going to testify and, and um, uh, talk to the witnesses, et cetera, et cetera. It's an opportunity for an employee to state their case, basically. Okay. Um, after a hearing before the board, the board may rehire the staff member even if the superintendent does not recommend the rehire. True or false? True. True. It is, that there is an, that is the opportunity that you can override a recommendation of a superintendent. We tell you don't do that routinely because it sends a message. 
I'd send a message about the confidence you have in your superintendent from a hiring perspective. Um, and then the last one, the most critical staffing decisions that a board makes deal with the selection and retention of the superintendent. True or false? True. Board members always ask me, what's my role in personnel? That's she. That's your role in a nutshell. Right. On the right-hand side of the, of the packet towards the back is a sheet with the answers that I was reading off of. On the, the left-hand side, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm looking at it. It's my right, but it's your left. Um, and it has the answers to the question. I, would, I tell board members, take that sheet right there. And you got it. And throw that in your board bag because those 10 items is your role as it relates to personnel. Right? Can you hit the, I think it's the last slide? Yeah. All right. So, wrapping up, four functions. Policy planning, oversight, appraisal, two-way communication. Right. Someone asks where they come from, code of ethics. To make sure the relationship between the board and the superintendent is a good one, because a good relationship, the studies show that a good superintendent-board relationship positively impacts student achievement. All right? The key is respecting your roles, respecting the what and the how, and knowing which lane you're supposed to be in. Personnel, know what you should know. You've got one sheet that gives you everything you should know about personnel and your role. Observe the chain of command. Your role with the public and your constituents is to help them understand how to use the chain of command from the bottom up. Your chain of command is a one-stop shop. Superintendent, you have an issue, a concern. I have a concern about a staff member. I bring it to the superintendent. I give my input, and then I walk away. I'm done. Superintendent's not obligated to come back to you and say, here's what I did. I looked into it. Yeah, there was a problem. I disciplined. That's not your role. The personnel manager is the superintendent. You're obligated to bring the information forward, but then back away and let the superintendent do her job as the personnel manager in the district. Board of Education is a team sport. We do um, new board member, not new board member, but um, uh, candidates briefings. And then we do, um, um, for those that get elected, we do roles, responsibilities, and resources for, for those potentially new members that are coming on. We do it in the, the November, late November, December time frame. And one of the things we tell every time we say this, because when the candidates brief, we ask them, why you, we go around and why do you want to be on the board? And boy, there's some good reasons. And I don't mean good in the sense of good. They have agendas, baggage, and they I'm going, I, I can't stand this superintendent, and I'm getting on, dude. I'm going to get rid of the superintendent. Fast forward to they've gotten elected, and they're in the room now, and we're talking about what your real roles and responsibilities are. Tell them, if you don't understand by now, it's a team sport. Nine-member board, you need to have four other friends if you're going to make anything happen. You don't get four other people agreeing with you, your idea isn't going to fly. So you've got to learn to be part of the team because our process 
is based on the majority, the consensus. Right? Things break down in a relationship because of lack of communication, poor communication. So I tell boards all the time and with their superintendent, communicate, 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 and then communicate some more. There's nothing wrong with over Keep the lines of communication open, support each other, respect each other. You can disagree and differ in opinion. That's all part of the public debate. But there's a professional way to do it. There's a respectful way to do it. And you can still, at the end of the day, go out and have a drink together if you need to. All right? That's not what we really can't, though. Because, you know what I'm saying? We yeah. really can't, because the sunshine, you're saying. Yeah. We really can't. You're if supposed it, to be telling us that. We're not supposed to be able to do that. Boards get, get go together, and they don't do anything that's talking board shop business. You, you, you. The public would have a hard time trying to convince anybody that you 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 went to the bar to have a board meeting. Okay, so, but the, the idea is you need to respect each other, so that at the end of the day we disagree, we can disagree, but whatever we do at the end of the night, I tell boards ask yourself, did we do good things for the children? And if you can feel good that you did good things for the children at the end of the night, it was a good night. Questions, comments? Got my contact information? Sure. Yeah. Um, a board of the whole is just, just as it says, you operate as a committee of the whole, which means everything you do gets deliberated in public as a committee of the whole. All right? Um, Boards that typically run, operate as a committee of the whole will usually run two meetings a month, a work session and then an action meeting. Board I was on, we, 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 we weren't a committee of the whole, but we ran two sessions. We had a work session where the work purpose of the work session was to look at the agenda, talk, to, talk about what the committees had come through, ask questions, and get things done. As a committee of the whole, that work session is your committee meeting. So you're going to have to get through all of the items that you need to to be able to execute at the action meeting. One of the cons with a committee of the whole is you get a lot less done than the divide and conquer by allowing individual committees to, to, to take the take the load, do the due diligence, and bring the recommendations back. When I get a board that asks me, yeah, they're, they're, they're typically a committee, board of committees, and I get a call, can you come in and talk to us about committee of the whole and the pros and cons? First question I ask is, why are you asking that question? Um, and invariably they say, well, I, I got to make a vote, and I'm not in that committee meeting, so I'm not feeling confident that I have enough information to make the vote. And I said, okay. And what's your process? And typically there isn't a process. And because they don't, they're not getting the information that they need to, so they, they don't feel, they hear about it at the, at the, uh, the meeting the night they got to take a vote, and I don't feel confident. But isn't it more of a process issue where if you had a charter, if every committee, your standing committees had specific charters of what is expected by the board, of that committee and what they're responsible for. And you have a 
chairperson responsibility uh, responsibilities outlined in the bylaws. You have a reporting process outlined in the bylaws. And by when, how many days after a committee meeting must the report be out to the board members in advance of whenever that action meeting is going to take place. That gives board members a chance to read the report. If I've got questions, I call the committee chair, ask my questions. I can do my homework. And by the time I get to the action meeting, I've gotten all the questions I need answered. I understand what happened based on the committee report. And, what, yeah, and, and so I feel confident that the committee's charged with doing the due diligence. I feel like I understand I can make an informed vote. When I, when I spell that out, they say, well, we don't do anything like that. So, but if you did, would that help? Oh, yeah, that would be great. It's a process issue. It's a trust issue. I don't trust the fact that I don't have the information. So build a system that allows you to gain trust in your, in your process. And what that means is if you're a committee chair, you've got some work to do. You know, that's, that's the key. You have, committee chairs have to understand you have a leadership role. That leadership role means you've got to work with the liaison, whoever the assigned liaison is, determine the agenda. You send, typically I tell them, send the agenda out to the full board so the full board knows what your committee is going to be looking at. So that committee members may say, you know what, I got a question, that, that item that is on the agenda, I have some questions on it. Pick up the phone, call chair. Here's my questions. Can you uh, include them as part of your discussion of this item? Or there may be something new I want to add, like that math program. So everybody knows what's going on, what the agendas are of the committees. And then the committee holds their meeting. The report comes out. You see the results. You get questions answered. And you probably will have a lot more trust in saying, I agree. Now, what I also tell the board is the public, sometimes it looks like a rubber stamp because all the Hardware heavy lifting has been taking place in committees, et cetera. And when you get to the action meeting, motion, second, any discussion, <clears throat> pretty much have all my questions as, yay, yay. And, and the public sits there and says, wow, these, these folks, all they do is rubber stamp everything the superintendent puts on the on the table. What, what I, tell, I recommend is that you do committee reports at the board meeting. You've seen the report, right? But at the so personnel section. We used to have ours divided up in sections based on the committees we have. So under personnel, we'd have certain things, and anything that was public-related that the committee could talk about, I would turn it over to the committee chair for, prior to taking a vote. The committee chair would do the report more for the public than us, because we already knew. But it, was, it showed the public how these recommendations came to be and how they're sitting there for the board so, so they don't think it's just our committee met and actually worked with the staff and, and, and delved into it. Then we take the vote. Uh, a finance. Finance chair would do it, her report. And we, so that's, and that process built trust among the board members and with the public because they didn't see you as a rubber stamp. I think that's a great idea. Uh, we do so. that so close, but not exactly, and it's probably. And who does the minutes for the meetings? The minutes for the meetings, it's committee chair responsible for those. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think the only thing we don't do is send out the committee agendas to everybody. No, but, but we, we don't, don't get the committee minutes until the until Friday before the meeting. Uh, yeah. And that's that's uh, that's so that's, and that doesn't give people enough time. I think in many cases. Yeah. Yeah. 
see what's on there and discuss. Oh, well, we so, you, you want to look at your timeline in a month and say, okay, what's the opportune drop dead point that folks, you as a board decide, how many days prior to that action meeting do you want to have committee report? So then the committee chairs know I've got to schedule my committee meetings so that I can have a report out by that date. Do you, you have actual from other school districts that may have done this, like what their guidelines may be or like what their sample timelines are? I'd be interested to see, and especially regarding negotiations, because that's like a little bit more dicey. I'd want to see if they do that for negotiations. For, for negotiating, when, when you say... Like the reports. Yeah, your negotiations are different animal. Right, and that's why okay. I want to see. It, it's not, it would not be your standard committee right. report. Right. Anything you report right. is an executive session. Right. You, you would take, you would do your, the um, negotiations committee would, would meet, do their thing with the, with the association, and at the next meeting, in executive session, that would be one of the, you would get a report, full board, Less your conflicted members would get a full report, full report from the negotiations chair on what was discussed, where are we at, et cetera, and do we need any other guidance? So you're saying I have to wait until the next session of the meeting. I couldn't give that information ahead of time to the other board. You would need to be very careful because that is highly confidential right. information. Right. I have to think. That's why I wanted to know like, if there's other ways of how people fulfill that. I, was, I sat on two boards. I was on a regional board and my K-8 at the same time. I was one of the last folks who still allowed to do that um, and I was committee I was negotiation chair on both right. and all of our reports were done in executive at the board meeting you know in the executive session because we just did not want that information floating out there right. okay. I think your presentation Jesse was excellent yep. I personally Thank appreciate you. it I, mean, I especially like to hear your lines because we're often asked about public comment and what are the rules around here also asked oftentimes about disclaimers on social posts, what needs to be put out there from board members, why we put out a disclaimer. So it's good to see you say it in public so that the public here understands what the rules of the rules of the road are and why we have to adhere to them. And, and it's important because you know the public may not understand, but based on the School Ethics Act and Code of Ethics, you can be reprimanded, censored, suspended or terminated from the board for violating the School Ethics Act and the Code of Ethics. So, you know, all the ta and anybody in the state of New Jersey can file a complaint against you if they have the facts. Bar is high, but it's very true. It doesn't, yeah. have, it, it's not restricted to the folks who live in your town. Yep. So, um, thank you very much, appreciate the opportunity. There was a census going around with your contact information on it. I don't know how far it got. If you could take a look at that.